0: can be a scary place. Dark shadows creeping in the moonlight. Unfamiliar sounds surrounding you. Stalking you. Is it a ghost? A werewolf? Or something more? Human. What would you do if you found yourself lost in the strange woods? Join us as we discuss the paranormal. True crime. And anything in between with your host Jeremy.
1: Is that what German is? Just angry French? <laughs> Jonathan. I don't have a response for that.
2: And Peter. Seems like a good way to like stop your heart or do something weird.
3: Why are people weird?
2: Welcome to the Strange Woods
1: Podcast. I don't know why every living creature in my house insists on vomiting on my floor.
3: Is that still a thing?
1: Dude, so my one of the dogs the other night. I don't remember when it happened, probably in the middle of the night because in the morning I walked out to just a pile of dried vomit in the middle of the oh, morning. Nice. And then so, of course, vomit freaking stinks. So I uh, well, I just started with some, whatever, spray foaming upholstery cleaner and I, uh, a brush on the end of my cordless drill. <laughs> and that didn't help. I mean, it got this like the surface debris away, but the smell didn't go away. So then I pulled out my, kind of my, cheap carpet shampooer that looks like a vacuum, but actually just puts, you know, soap juice in the, in the carpet. (laughs) And that seemingly just spread out the stink to a larger area. Uh, (laughs) So I then sprinkled baking soda all over it for a day and vacuumed it up and then followed it again with another carpet shampooing. And it's still there. Not as bad, but yeah, it's there. It's awesome. It's, it's cool to sit down to watch TV and just smell faint <laughs> dog vomit. Oh, <Ugh. laughs> no, that's bad. I can't say I've ever smelled our cats vomit. So oh, I guess God. that's a
2: plus to cats.
1: Yeah, let it dry in your carpet. It's awesome. When it gets down to the padding below your carpet, that's when it's really good.
3: Okay. So I have a I have a an adjunct gripe to that. And it has to do with Peter vomited on the carpet. No, <laughs> again, yes, Petey, you got to stop with this. Uh, trying. I'm so, trying. So you know that we lost our little Paco in December
2: last year because this will probably come out uh, in December.
3: Oh right. Okay. So it's been it's been almost a year, and we got two kittens, a brother and sister, Tallulah and Theo. <laughs> Well, they are long, the most well-behaved,
2: oh beautiful God. animals I've ever seen.
3: It's a lot of energy to have two cats, two two kittens.
2: They definitely don't chew wires cats are
1: very respectful of their humans.
3: Mm, Sure. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, we had, we've had Paco and Harry Paco was 19, almost 20 years old. So I had him his whole life. And then Harry is going to be 13. So we've had adult cats for a long time. So we forgot just how crazy kittens are. And when you put two of them together there's there's a lot of energy there it's a bit much it's a bit much but you know we love them and they're wonderful they are medium hair domestics so this morning i get off of my 12 hour shift from work i come in i just get comfortable i'm trying to find something to have for breakfast and she comes running into the kitchen and is like, just kind of like freaking out. And I'm like, what's the matter? And she puts her butt on the ground in my kitchen and starts dragging it. No. <laughs> Y'all <laughs> cat crap all over my <laughs> kitchen. Jesus, a, 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 tur- a, a, a Poop got stuck in her butt hair and she was trying to get it off of her and it was freaking her out. Literally around my entire island, there were streaks. I was like, no, there was literally nothing I could do to stop her. And she just kept running. And then she'd stop and scoot, 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 scoot. scoot, And then she'd (laughs) get up and run. And I was like, wait, I was trying to catch her. She don't have worms again, huh? It was because this was, it was stuck on her. So gross. So gross. So then of course the beautiful, aroma of cat shit Good is smell. all throughout my kitchen i wear it daily oh my god y'all so short story long I had the privilege to be sleeping during all this oh uh, wow well,
2: mm.
1: what else is new
3: <laughs> so she's trying to get herself together right trying to clean herself up it's not working that's how much poop was stuck on this cat i'm like this is horrifying so of course lysol clean everything up right and I go to check on her and she is trying to jump on my bed and still has crap on her. So I'm like, okay, well, this can't happen. So bath. Right. But I tell you, this little chick hollered like she was being murdered when I put her in the bath.
2: I went running because I didn't know she was giving her a bath. I get to the door and both of the other cats are like pushing their heads against the door, trying to get in. They're trying to to break the the door
3: down. What are you doing to her? Like they like Harry and and uh, Theo are both heaving their bodies into the door. I can hear them like while she you would have thought I was pulling her eyelids off or something like that. Like I she not was- like water. Don't put me in the water. I don't know what the water? you put me in the water. i all wet. <laughs> Like, I mean, and she's just looking at me like, why why, why are you doing this? I'm like, because you're covered in poo. So, yeah, that was my morning after I got off of a 12 hour shift at the ER (laughs) from cleaning human crap to cleaning cat crap. And this is why I don't own a cat. Oh, but look, but that's not every day. They're wonderful. This is just one of those things. It's kind of like
2: every day they're just chewing on our wires. Well,
3: you want to get rid of them? No. Hello, listeners. Does anybody want to, uh, <laughs> want three, three Woodward cats?
0: Well, we decided to, to give Phoenix a ham bone after Thanksgiving. Don't do that. And I don't, I don't know if it was crap or if it was vomit, oh, but apparently my father in law woke up to the sound of it and went out <laughs> to clean it at like four or five in the morning. And oh, no. he said he proceeded to have to go to the bathroom to vomit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: it was
2: <laughs> bad. I'm picturing, you know, on Christmas vacation when the dog's like choking on something under the table.
1: Oh, he's just yakking on a bone. He got it up. Uh, He's all right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's what I'm picturing. (laughs) Well, let's talk about what we're going to talk about. Yeah, we're going to talk about kissing dead chicks.
3: Ooh, today, uh, on today.
1: I have a lot of personal experience in this matter. Oh, do you?
3: He did kill Brittany.
1: Yeah, that I practiced on my wife after. (laughs) I'll tell you about it later.
3: Oh, wow. (laughs) That's like a long turn. Yeah, Yeah. dun-dun-dun. All right. So what is this, number 31, 32? What is this? Who's
1: who's counting anymore? I think Uh, it's 32. I forgot to look. That's the job of the website. (laughs) Yeah,
3: I didn't go to school for math. It's fine.
0: We are at almost 4,000 listens, so... (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for Yay. that. Yeah, that's awesome.
3: Thanks, guys.
0: But to clarify, um, we're talking
2: about Canu de la Seine. Is that how you say it, Brandy?
3: Yeah, good job. Is Lin-
2: that I, really how you pronounce it? Uh, mm. I'm sorry. I, I said I was going to use my best French accent for this.
3: Do it. Go, go, Lemire, do it.
2: Lincanou
3: de la Seine.
2: Yeah, I don't think that's uh,
3: that. That's, I, I, that's I, offensive. I think so. It sounded more German, actually. <laughs> so angry. Got real hard. Yeah.
1: <laughs> is that what German is? Just angry French. Angry French. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to our German listeners. Yeah. Well,
1: here's the thing my great grandmother was born in Germany. I can talk all the shit I want. Now, you guys.
3: No, 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 no. I have lots of German in my background, too. So, uh, Wiener Schnitzel.
1: I have
2: French and German in my background. So I can make fun of them all. one. There you go.
3: German
1: English. I got the trifecta of white people. We got papers. So we can say what we want.
3: I got. It. I got paper. I got receipts. So uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Oh shit! I wasn't muted. Sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what? All that baby crying. I'm sorry. That's, uh, that's okay. That's what that's what post production's for.
3: That's right. Also, they are part of the podcast as well, and they have a voice. So. Yeah, so actually,
1: any of you listeners, if you just want to cry into the microphone. Just
3: cry into the microphone, guys. We'll let you on. This like is a that? safe space. This is a safe space for you to sob openly into the microphone. Do it. <coughs> God. What about cough? No. That's not a cough, Peter. That's a lung coming up. Jesus. <laughs> Have y'all seen that little meme That's it's the woman sitting next to her dog and the dog sneezes it's like a corgi and she says, Oh, bless you, my sweet little angel baby. Are you okay? And then there's a line, and then underneath it, it's her next to her man. And the man says, A chew. And she goes, Shut the f up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, my God.
3: Yeah,
1: that's, that's, that's accurate.
3: It is accurate.
1: <laughs> We've con- I don't know why, but you made me think of it. We've conditioned our pit bull to be ashamed whenever he farts loudly.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, as Jonathan could probably attest, pit bulls fart a lot. Oh my um,
3: God, so do they
1: really? Gassy. Yeah, they're very gassy animals. What? Um And it's like loud human farts, right? No. So anytime he farts now, we look at him and we just like
3: shame say, him
1: like just talk like we're disappointed in him we don't uh-huh. yell at him like it's it's we're just disappointed in him and now he'll fart he'll look at us he'll lower his head and just walk out the room <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't know if that's awesome or sad
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll
0: fart
3: shaming.
1: <laughs> but yes they do they do tend to fart
3: that is horrifying like it actually sounds like a fart
1: oh yeah like a, like a human sphincter
3: <laughs> so my parents have a um a Morkey. And he farts, but you don't hear it. You just suddenly smell something horrible, and he's crop dusted your ass. And that's how the corgi is. And then you taste the
1: biscuit. You You taste taste the biscuit,
3: (laughs) (laughs) and you taste the goodness of the biscuit. Taste the goodness of the biscuit. It's (laughs) stupid, (laughs) Peter.
1: But you know, you know, I'll backtrack a little bit. The real shame started because he did shart on the sofa one.
2: No. Time. Oh
1: no. <laughs> <sighs> I've so never seen one shart before, but my, my poor, poor living room.
3: Yes. Oh my god, what are we doing? Why do we own animals? Because they're wonderful and we don't deserve them.
1: Well, as much as I love
2: dog farts, uh, what's our story, Brandy?
3: Okay, so we have a story from Anonymous Alex. This is the guy from Texas who is a nurse. He had that one story that we did a little while back. So this was a second story that he had.
1: Is it a scary one?
3: Um, It's a little weird.
1: Is it a strange story?
3: Yeah. All right. So this is Anonymous Alex, RN from Texas. I worked in a nursing home, 3 to 11 p.m. part time. One night around 8.45, I was charting on the 60 patients that I had when a resident who never left his room, even had all his meals in his room, came out. He walked to the wall clock and looked at his watch, which he held in his hands, then walked back to his room. About 10 minutes later, he did the same thing, and he asked me, what time is it? Nine o'clock, I answered. He again looked at his watch and walked back to his room. I took a break from charting and went into his room behind him i asked are you okay to which he answered yes then i asked him would you like a coke to which he accepted i brought the coke went in and sat while he drank it and started talking about his life his work his family after about 15 minutes he said well thank you and went to bed i worked until 11 and went home the next evening I noticed his chart was gone. I went to his room. The bed was stripped and empty. I asked, what happened to Mr. I was told, oh, he passed away during his sleep last night. Now I often wonder, was he waiting for someone or something that night? Were they late or was he expecting to go that evening?
1: He definitely knew what time he was gonna die. I don't know how.
3: Don't you think so?
1: But he, oh, that's, yeah. Why else would you be asking what time it is? Like, oh, I got two hours left. Oh, you make Coke. <laughs> oh, word. <laughs> that sounds like a time traveler.
3: Come on, Mr. B. He's got his priorities in order. You know what? I'm about to go see Jesus, but before I go,
1: no, could I, I get a Coca Cola? That movie with Kevin Spacey, K Pax, he, he knew that the aliens were coming to pick him up.
3: It did.
1: Yeah, I forgot about that movie.
3: Yeah, and it's like those death cats in the nursing homes that can, like, tell when people are about to die. Kevin Spacey get in trouble for, like, sexual assault. He a a whole pervert. Yeah, I don't support Kevin Spacey. Nope. This podcast does not support Kevin Spacey. But, yeah, kind of creepy sauce. He just kept going, look at the clock.
1: I wouldn't mind knowing like five hours before I die just so that I can mess with someone like that. Hey, what time is it? (laughs) (laughs) Let me know when it's
3: 6.45.
1: (laughs) I got somewhere to be. (laughs) They'll walk in and (laughs) I'll die. I don't know if I could be that nonchalant about it. It depends how old you are, I think. If you're like 90, I think you're like, you know what, I've lived my life.
3: Yeah. Yeah,
0: I like the story. I mean, nursing homes are just inherently creepy. Agreed. I mean, some of them are nice, but
3: yeah,
1: uh, they're depressing. They're the saddest places on earth.
3: They're notoriously understaffed in these nursing homes. Like it's crazy, it's crazy. People? Six zero, yes, that is realistic. One RN, sixty patients. Now they have helpers. But you are one nurse charting on sixty patients. It's insane.
0: That does feel like it's way too many. Well, it's I mean,
3: incredibly too many.
0: Even coming from a, like a high pressure situation in the ER, I mean, what would be the most you would see there? Five or five to
3: We do, we do three to four, depending on severity. But as far as charting and being responsible for sixty people. Even in, even 60 stable people, uh, yikes, that's insane. And that's routine. That's every day. Yeah, It's crazy. Anyway. um,
0: Overall, it's a good story.
3: It's a good, like, I feel like he absolutely knew that his time was coming. He absolutely knew it because he was walking out of the room and he never came out of his room. I picture like this old pocket watch in his hand. Like one of those cool pocket watches.
0: I wonder if he was going, so is he like dressed casually, like pajamas? Or is he like dressed up like, hey, we're about to leave? Like
3: In a nice little suit or something. Got his pocket watch and his top hat and his hand. I like that better. Oh, it's definitely creepy. I'm sure Alex has seen some things in his time. Because I think if I'm remembering right, he was a nurse for like 30 plus years. So I'm sh- I'm sure he's seen some some weird stuff.
2: Well, speaking of creepy and weird stuff, so let's paint a quick mental picture. Imagine the gaslit streets of 19th century Paris, a city steeped in history and secrets. A warm amber hue upon the narrow street cast from the gas lamps, shadows dancing on the buildings with their intricate iron balconies decorated with flowers cobblestone pathways echoing with the distant murmur of horse-drawn carriages their rhythmic clip-clop punctuating the stillness of the night the air carries a blend of dampness from the seine river in france and the rich aroma of freshly baked baguettes from nearby bakeries a morning fog rolls in among the seine as the city is still waking up a discovery is made a lifeless body gently drifts in the river's current the cobblestone embankments are lined with curious onlookers as authorities carefully retrieve the mysterious woman from the river her clothes damp and clinging her face serene and almost peaceful raises questions about the circumstances surrounding her her death in this moment the pulse of the city seems to slow as if paris itself is holding its breath Captivated by the enigma of the unknown woman, soon to become the timeless mystery of Lakanu de la Seine.
3: Well, how lovely. Yeah.
2: Mm. I had AI come up with a lot of that, and then I kind of put it together into like a little story.
3: Very cool. So this is Linkanu de la Seine. Unknown woman of the Seine. Yeah. So this was a young girl at the end of the 1800s in Paris that was found floating in the Seine River. She, to this day, has never been identified, but she was about 16 years old. And uh, when they looked her over and kind of did their assessment on her body, there was no signs of violence, no signs of struggle. So it was thought that she uh, committed suicide by jumping into the water and drowning. She looked to be about 16 years old. So, at this time in Paris, it was very customary. And we tend to, I, I don't know, for in this podcast, we tend to float around this time period a lot where we've established that worldwide, especially Europe and the US, there's this fascination with death and the macabre in the early 19th century.
1: Well, all the all the good deaths happened in the nineteenth right, century, right? Right. Well, that's why there's so many ghosts that dress like that.
3: Hell,er yeah, it was a popular time to die. So, the this fascination with death and the macabre and just just spooky things was very, very big. Right, right at this time, and it was not unusual. In fact, it was commonplace for unidentified bodies to be put into the Paris morgue with a viewing window and people would literally line up to go and look at the unidentified and dead bodies. Was that the obituaries? Of it, the sort of. <laughs> I kind of, yeah, it sounds like it. So was
1: that just, was that just a way to like, kind of try to identify bodies? Yes. Like, Hey, we found this dead bitch. Does anybody know her?
3: Exactly. But also it was a pastime. It was a thing that you just did. Like, you want to go catch a movie? You want to go look at dead bodies? Sure. You know?
2: You guys want to see a dead body?
3: Oh, come on, stand by me, quote. But hey, so this girl in particular had a very serene and peaceful look on her face. And she was very beautiful. And her face was like uh, unmarred and just it really captured the attention of the pathologist at the morgue and it wasn't unusual to make a death mask for an uh, unidentified body but he he wanted to make one this guy his name is dr alexandra lacassane and he was the pathologist at the morgue and he was just captivated by her beauty he was so struck by her serene expression that he felt compelled to preserve her face so he made a death mask of her face
2: Not creepy
3: at all. Well, it was common. It was common for memorials. It was common for an uh, anatomical study. And it was even common for, you know, artistic reasons. So basically the process involved covering the face with plaster bandages. um, And it created this detailed mold that would capture everything, even like expressions on the face.
2: So eventually... The death mask was, I don't know if it was sold or if somebody just like, you know, pirated it for lack of a better way to say it. I don't know. Um, But eventually it, it found its way into artisans selling it, you know, for like decorations.
3: Yeah, she blew
1: up. So basically she had the opposite of a resting bitch face. So everyone just wanted her visage in their well,
3: Exactly. House. Yeah. And like literally in their house, like she became this object of fascination. They would make, you know, you know those brooches called cameos, they're old brooches. And it's like a profile of a woman's face with a black background. background. It's like a silhouette. And then it's a brooch. It's called a cameo. They would do... Those of her jewelry, they would have her face, the death mask recreated and it would be around their house. Um, women of the time modeled their look after her. Like she blew up. She inspired some paintings. It it was, she just became this like an actual cultural phenomenon was this unknown woman of the same and was a huge influence. In fact, there was, that's what I was trying to find earlier today, there was a book of um, sculptures and busts. And it was all these famous sculptures of um, all these well-known figures. And she's actually in that book. Um, so the mask was replicated and sold by a family called the Lorenzies. He was a latelier, a l'atelier, and last name was Lorenzi. So latelier Lorenzi was founded in 1871 in Arcoul, France. And it was a shop where they had plaster casts of things and molds. And the one who opened it, Mr. Lorenzi, Monsieur Lorenzi, um, saw this face and decided to replicate it and it sold crazily.
2: Yeah, it's so popular. You can still buy it today.
3: You can still buy it. It's called the uh Noye de la Seine, the Drowned Woman of the Seine.
2: Yeah, I think it said it was like 130 bucks or something. Yeah, it's a hun- a it's 100. One. Yep,
3: $130 for a plaster one and um uh 175 for a shiny glaze. And they're nice. still known today. They're still open. They are still open for business. And it's still their best known item. And we have some pictures that we're going to put on the website of the shop and uh, of their of their products. And it's very, very cool. But she just her face was a huge fixture in the Parisian Bohemian Society Like it was she was inspiration for artists, poets, musicians, filmmakers, writers. For example, uh, Pablo Picasso used her as inspiration for some of his work. There were songs, there were stories. um, And she was called the Mona Lisa of the Seine.
2: Because if you look at her, she almost has like a slight, slight smile.
3: Yeah. Um, in 1914, there's this painting of her so called Inspired by the Unknown Woman by a Dutch painter. So she was internationally known, yet unknown. Her identity was has never, to this day, has never been determined. So why are we talking about this girl? Why are we talking about her today?
2: Well, she is considered the most kissed face. In the world. In the world, yeah.
3: But why?
2: Well, apparently, people started kissing the lips of the mask, thinking that it would bring them good luck. You know how people are with their uh, their good luck charms? Everything brings good luck. They said it's like giving a good luck peck to a mysterious friend from a long time ago. They believed that by kissing her lips, they'd get a sprinkle of her special charm.
3: Her magic and her, uh, wait, wait, no, lucky, her lucky charm magically delicious. <laughs> yeah. Get your lips off my lucky charm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... That happened, of course. Yes. But she... You think she consented to those kisses? No. And it's a little creepy sauce that they used her face and still, you you know, well, we'll get to that. So fast forward to the late 1950s and she would again become famous. So everyone is familiar with CPR, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. CPR was developed in the fifties by Peter Safar.
2: It stands for something?
3: No, it's just letters. They, they reached into a Scrabble bag and said, pick the first three letters and we'll just call it that. Um, so it was developed by Peter Safar, who is an Austrian doctor and um, an American doctor named James Elam. They were, um, they developed what we know as CPR. So initially it was like mouth to mouth, which, you know, put to seal over somebody's mouth, you breathe to resuscitate them when they're not breathing. Eventually that was workshopped and added chest compressions, which is to pump the heart, which pumps blood around the body. So you give the breaths to introduce oxygen into the lungs the lungs pick up the oxygen molecules into the blood, and then you pump the heart to push the oxygen around the body to help keep the brain oxygenated when the heart's not pumping. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Non-medical peoples? Yeah, it makes Was sense. that an, an okay explanation? I can do another one if it's unclear. No, I, mean,
0: that, that makes, I mean, it makes sense You're, to
3: me. I mean, you're basically being the heart and lungs for somebody when their heart and lungs are not doing what they're supposed to do. So this is what they developed, this technique of CPR. Um, So mouth to mouth, chest compressions, and the tilting of the head back to open the airway. You see this on TV and it is complete nonsense because CPR is extremely violent. On an adult, you have to compress the chest because you are literally squeezing the heart. So you have to push down hard. So in order to learn this, Students, doctors were having to practice on each other. Which, yes, which can be very, very dangerous because it's at a minimum, it's painful. It's painful. Imagine somebody sitting on your chest and pushing your chest in towards your spinal cord while you're laying on a hard surface. Yeah,
2: hell with that. Seems like a good way to like stop your heart or do something weird. Um, it's,
1: it, it's my understanding. It's not uncommon for ribs to fracture. No,
3: it's unusual for them not to. Um, it's very violent. If you've ever seen real CPR, um, it's an extraordinary measure. That's why like, you know, people who are, older and brittle and near the end of their lives uh that's a lot of times why it's it's kind of awful when they're called a full code where if their heart stops or they stop we do everything because it's so violent that even if you get them back they have multiple rib fractures they are bruised it's very it's it's a lot so it's considered an extraordinary measure. And these people were having to practice learning this on each other. So these gentlemen were trying to find a way for them to learn how to do this without hurting each other. So a guy named Archer Gordon, he was the American Heart Association CPR committee um, head. And he realized that a dummy could help save these medical students from the unnecessary pain and potential rib damage of practicing on each other. So he made a sixth doll. Uh, so <laughs> in 1958, he turned to a well-known Norwegian toy maker named Asmund Lairdell with a plan to make a life-size training tool to assist with teaching. He they wanted a female doll because Lord knows men wouldn't want to perform mouth to mouth on another male.
2: Jesus, I never even thought about that.
3: And he actually in a relative's home had seen the unknown woman of the saying. He had seen a piece of art with her on it, a, de- a death mask and decided to make her his model. So she was named recessy Annie in Europe. And CPR Annie in the U.S. And it is her face that is on the CPR dummy.
2: And fun fact, if you ever heard of uh, Michael Jackson's...
3: Smooth criminal. Um, yeah. Smooth, Smooth criminal. criminal. So the story with that is that Michael Jackson was taking CPR class. And if you, if anybody knows uh, basic life support, BLS, CPR, the first thing you are taught to do when you approach the person that's down is you say, are you okay? Are you okay? You try to talk to them. And so they would say her name, Annie, are you okay? And that's where that line comes from in Smooth Criminal. Or you know. Right? (laughs) Isn't that crazy? So because of the mouth to mouth, she is the most kissed girl in the world. Thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of these dolls these dummies were reproduced and they are still used across the world today. So she was first presented at the um, first international symposium on resuscitation in Norway in 1930. Crazy. She was made of soft plastic with a collapsible chest so that they could practice compression. And she had. Was it complete with a uh, ribs crack? No, probably not. That was the later models. Um, and her lips were open to practice mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. She was produced and reproduced worldwide through Lairdell Medical. And later models included a simulated carotid pulse. Pupils that could... What? Yeah. Pupils that... Oh, yeah. the ones... Look, the ones that they have now are crazy, crazy detailed. Um, it's very... They call them... Uh, they have a sim lab at uh, at our college that we went to. And there's a really advanced one there. But they had pupils that could dilate and constrict, a recording system to show the trainee's performance. Um, And it's estimated that about 500 million people worldwide have trained in CPR, most of them with recessy Annie.
2: You know, I'm going to argue that CPR must not work very good because everybody's been trying to save this lady's drowning for a very long time.
3: Didn't work. Wah wow. Still doesn't work. But it did. So they do estimate that approximately 2.5 million lives have been saved by CPR. So it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, that that was definitely a joke because CPR is actually a really good thing.
1: Peter, when you were working with me at the survey company, did you take CPR first aid? No, I never had to do that. Really? Nope. I took I took it yearly for probably close to a decade.
0: I've really? been CPR qual- yeah. qualified for a while,
1: yeah. So I I have Damn, definitely so hang out with Annie. these hang out with these guys before uh, you hang out with me. So, <laughs> so here's the cool thing, and I say cool, kind of weird. Um, since you know I, I talked about kissing the dead earlier, I had a coworker who's an older guy, and um, I swear to God, I saw him use his tongue to practice the CPR on the dummy. And I do not understand why the tongue needed to be involved, but he 100% put his tongue in Annie's mouth. Oh
3: my God. Oh, I don't, my God.
1: I don't, I don't understand because it's not like he was doing it for the attention. No one else noticed it, but like, I'm kind of observant on things.
0: <laughs> I was
1: thinking earlier,
2: you know, like I made the joke about the sex doll or whatever, but I mean all these there there are some weird people out there. I'm sure somebody has done weird things with the Annie doll, right? I'm sure. I mean clearly this dude put his tongue in the mouth.
3: <laughs> yeah. That's so freaking uh, weird. Like that is weird. weird. I don't <laughs> have a
1: response for that.
3: <laughs> Why are people weird? Stop being so. weird, guys.
1: My, my ears kind of perked up, Brandy, whenever you mentioned that they originally would train on each other mm-hmm. because after my, eh, I wouldn't say my first time, but maybe second or third time of doing CPR training at work, like I got home and I was like, Brittany, we're trying something <gasps> and I didn't press her chest, but I told her, blow all your air out. And then I filled her lungs up with my own breath uh-huh. using the techniques from the C- CPR first aid training course. And then I had her do it to me. And the feeling of someone else filling your lungs with air, a little weird. Yeah. Not going to lie. But it works, (laughs)
3: right? It works.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you you, got to tilt the head back and everything. You know. Um, So, yeah, I recommend.
3: Yeah. And do not try CPR at home. I'm going to go ahead and say this. Um, This is my personal belief. Everyone should take a CPR class. There is no reason not to. This is something that can literally save a person's life. You double or triple the odds of survival in a cardiac arrest, a witness cardiac arrest by starting immediate CPR on someone. So think about if it was, and it's a scary thought. It's a freaky thought to try to do this, especially on a stranger or even worse, on a family member. However, think about if it was someone that you loved and they go down and Somebody in the crowd knows CPR and jumps in and helps your loved one. You could be that person or somebody in your family, God forbid, you know, like has a heart attack, uh, stops breathing, you know, has some kind of cardiac event and you're waiting on an ambulance, but you can do CPR. You can do something to help everyone should learn how to do this. Hopefully, I hope for everyone because it is it is a very traumatic thing. It's a very rough thing to have to witness, to have to do, but why why not know how to do it? You could save someone's life.
1: Yeah, and, and a lot of people worry that like, oh, I'm gonna get sued if something goes no. wrong. But as long as you are doing something within your own kind of knowledge base, and you don't go outside of that, like, like as long as you're not stabbing their neck open. Yes, to Like, please, put a please straw don't trake
3: someone. That's something on TV, and that doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, don't, do, <laughs> don't that. do that. But as long as you stay within what you were trained to do, and you're doing it in good faith, like they legally can't. Touch yeah, there's it. a so good
3: Samaritan law. Do not let that deter. Yes, you. there's a good Samaritan law that protects you.
1: So, out of my ignorance
2: of this subject when do you know to do it is it literally just if they're not breathing do
3: it so here's the thing you the first thing you do is if you walk up on somebody or you see somebody fall you check the scene for safety and an example of that would be like like electrocution electrocution there you go toxic gas yeah because if you walk into a situation where you're not safe you can't help anyone right So you check the scene for safety first. If you're safe, you try to elicit a response from the person. Annie, are you okay? Hello, hello, hello. Smack them around. You know, like, no. Wait,
2: I can legally slap somebody. Stop it.
3: You know what I mean? (laughs) No. Um, Something that we do in the medical field is the sternal rub. If you take your hand and make a fist.
2: Oh, that sucks. You've done that to me before.
3: Oh, it totally sucks. But if somebody is arousable at all they will wake up. You take your knuckles, you take, you make a fist and you take your knuckles down and go on their breastbone, their sternum and you rub hard in a circle and you say, hey, can you hear me? And if you don't get a response, you check for a pulse and check for breathing. So the way you check for a pulse is you put their head back and you know where your windpipe is, that trachea right down the middle You put your three fingers on top of that and then slide them to the side of the trachea. And that's where you should be able to feel a carotid pulse if there's one there. If you don't feel anything or you feel something that is like barely there and or they are not breathing, that is an indication to start CPR. If you're by yourself, the rule is you do two rounds of CPR and then go get help if you are not by yourself, you send somebody to go and call for help. And what is considered a round? So I'll, I'll walk you through that. But um, if you're not by yourself, you send whoever you're with to go and call for help to either make a phone call or if you're near um, a business or an office, run in and see if they have something called an AED. That's the little portable shock pads and most businesses and offices have an AED available. It's called activating the emergency response. So get them to either call or and or go get an AED, all right? Hmm. So while that's happening, this person needs to be on their back on a hard surface that you're that you're going to start CPR on. It's very important that they have a hard flat surface because you're going to start compressions. So you check for that pulse, you place two to three fingers on the side of the trachea for at least five seconds, but no more than 10. And while you're doing that, you're looking at their chest and you're listening for breathing. If you got nothing, you start with chest compressions. And how you do that is you take the heels of your hands and you stack them one on top of the other, and it's going to be um, on their like the lower part of their sternum. Between the nipples is actually a good marker and you go at least one third of the depth of the patient's chest, about two inches in. And what you're doing,
2: is it pretty much safe to just go all out?
3: Well, you're going to push hard and fast. And what you want to do is 100 to to 120 compressions per minute and a good way. And this sounds crazy.
2: No, that's the one rule that I know is this one.
3: Yep. The, a good way to do it is a song in your head. So Staying Alive by the Bee Gees is
1: God's gift of Music.
3: Yes, <laughs> is a good one. But any, and you can look up songs that have that um, that amount of beats. Um, what is it called, Petey? What's the term for it?
2: Uh, BPM.
3: They're, they're BPMs. Oh, okay, beats per minute. Hey, yeah, that, that's that's a medical thing too. Okay, all right, I didn't realize that. But you can look up beats per minute for songs to have a song in your head. But staying alive is always the one that I use.
2: So there's I of the Tiger, Set Fire to the Rain by Adele, Wanna Be by Spice Girls. Oh, no. Um, Numb by Linkin Park. I'm reading kind of the more uh, out there ones. Hollaback Girl by Gwen Stefani. Okay. <laughs> Getting Jiggy With It by Will Smith. Oh, here's a good one. Work It by Missy Elliott.
3: Okay.
0: Oh, no, we were always told another one bites the dust.
3: There you go. That's one. That's a I, good one.
1: I feel like 120 beats per minute is probably one of the most common. Like it's- You can pretty much do like most EDM music. Like any song you can think of, just do it to that beat.
3: Well, it, but it's important to do that range because what you're doing is you are acting as the pump for the body. You are circulating the blood, which is in turn circulating the oxygen to the brain and heart. And because if you don't have oxygen to the brain, you get brain death.
2: Yeah, because too slow, you're not getting enough oxygen. If you're doing too fast, it's not as
3: efficient, right? It can't absorb as fast, yes. So it's important to do that range. Or 100 to 120. There you go, Jeremy. Supermassive black hole. There you go. So you're going to push hard and fast, but you need to make sure that you allow the chest to fully recoil between compressions. So you can't just hold down and push, 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 push. Like you have to let up, down, up, down. Chest compressions are exhausting. Um, so
2: here's the best one on the list. In sync. Bye bye bye.
3: Oh, that's messed up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and,
3: That's the and, I'm sure
1: Brandy was about to get to this, but an important thing is do not bend your elbows while doing this. Yes. Don't do like TV says even I know that.
3: Yes. If you've seen CPR on TV, forget everything you've seen except for the two breaths because it's all wrong. It's all wrong. Um, Doesn't it change every year or something too? Well, they're always reassessing the best way to do things and what's priority, but it's essentially been the same since its development with, with some tweaks here and there, you know, based on research, based on, you know, success and failure, but it's pretty much the same thing. It's 30 compressions and two breaths and you recheck the pulse every five cycles of that. So that's, that works out about every two minutes. So, so
2: sing, a, sing a chorus and
3: so you and you count out loud one, two, three, four, and you do 30. And then you tilt their head back, you pinch their nose, you make a good seal over their mouth, put their tongue in their mouth. Peter, I'm trying to teach people how to do CPR.
1: Don't lick the inside of your patient,
3: don't lick the inside of their mouth, head back. You need to make sure that you tilt their chin back because you have to open the airway.
0: That's actually debated right now. So the, the most recent class that we've attended, or at least that I've attended, they were met with the American Red Cross. They're debating how important the breaths are. Oh. The breaths are to are supposed to stay but the head tilt chin lift is something they're thinking you about to, getting rid of
1: really but you have to do that to clear the air because if if oh, what if they have if a neck injury
0: yeah you don't know if there's so a neck
3: that's a great question if they if you suspect that like like what if this is somebody who fell off a roof you don't move those people. There is something called the jaw thrust. So that's a little more complicated. You take your fingers and put it under their jaw and push their the bottom of their jaw forward. And that will open their airway without manipulating their neck.
2: Yeah, kids used to do that to me in school. Like like they kind of like choke you, at, <laughs> jab their hand into your throat real hard. Oh, that's a different, that's
1: just a dick move. Yeah,
3: what an <laughs> asshole.
1: I don't know what you're talking about.
3: <laughs> so yeah, 30 compressions, two breaths, and you want to do that five times. If you are by yourself and you come up on this person, you did not witness their, their falling out, you want to do a minimum of this, this two-minute act. You want to do this for a minimum of five cycles. You want to do a full round of compressions and then you run to go get help. Why do you do that? Because you don't know how long they've been down. You want to act as the pump, but you also need to get someone to come and help you. If you're out, you know, with no one to help. Then you know there's no there's no backup coming. There's no ambulance, so you need to reach out for help if you're by yourself. But by doing this, hopefully you will have given them some oxygen. You will have perfused their brain enough to give you some time to run into, you know, a, a, a local building or flag somebody down on the road or something. Hopefully you have your cell phone and you can phone nine one one. But if you are completely alone and need to go and get help, you you do a round of uh, CPR before you go. Now, if you have your friend coming back with reinforcements, great. The rule is you switch out after this round of compressions. So you do the 30 compressions, two breath, five cycles of that, which is about two minutes of time. And then the the appropriate practice is to switch out the compressors at that time. So get somebody else to do it. If someone is not CPR trained, you can still walk them through chest compressions because chest compressions are very fatiguing. They're very, very taxing on your body. I do them as part of my job. It still kicks my ass every single time.
2: So me being not certified, I'm still allowed to do it. Of that?
3: course, of course. And what I would do is I would say, you know, put your heels of your hands, one on top of the other. On top of this, and I would walk you through, push hard and fast. Make sure you let the chest recoil every single time. Count out loud, 30 compressions. One, two, three. And you do that. And then you do the breaths. You do another round of compressions. And you do not stop doing this until help arrives.
1: Or you pass out. Hopefully not. Never stop.
3: Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's why it's ideal to have people help you. Your compressions have to be effective. You know, you have to do them correctly and fully, or they're not going to work. So, when you get tired, you stop pushing as hard, you stop pushing as fast, and that could be detrimental to the person that you're trying to help.
2: Right. So, um, also, pro tip don't try to murder somebody and then call 911 and pretend like you were doing compressions because they can probably tell.
3: Yeah. Disclaimer.
2: I feel like I've heard that. Yeah, I've, I've heard that a few times in true crime podcasts <laughs> where like somebody's like, Yeah, I I, I did CPR. Mm -hmm.
3: Well, actual disclaimer, this is not a substitute for a CPR class. Um, I'm in no way certified to teach this. This is just me putting it out there so that you have an idea. You know, if if, God forbid you do find yourself in that position, that there's something that you can do. Um, I absolutely, 10 out of 10, without hesitation, recommend that every single person... Go to a CPR class or take a CPR class online, and um, it'll teach you CPR for adults and children because it's different on um, children and different on infants. And it'll also yeah. teach you the Heimlich maneuver because why wouldn't you want to know these things if an emergency happens? You know. So please do not take I've seen this.
2: Somebody do CPR on a lizard before on YouTube. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and just just throwing this out there, the so worst case scenario is you are alone. Um, but if somebody is around and brings does happen to bring back an AED, since I'm a big AED supporter, yes, sir. an AED, you would stop at least for a moment to hook up the AED. The AED is gonna, you know, check for that pulse. It's gonna right. administer a shock if needed. And if the AED is smart enough to know that if there is no pulse and a shock has not worked, it's going to tell you to continue CPU.
3: Correct. Uh, Really? Yes. I thought you
2: had to know how to use those things. It kind of tells you.
3: Well, here's what you do. It's pretty dummy proof. You literally turn it on. And while, so you're doing your compressions at the point when they stop to do the two breaths.
2: It doesn't play unskippable ads first, right? Peter,
3: at the point where they stop to do two. In 2023, I got to (sighs) ask these questions. Are you done? (laughs) you have anything else to get out good lord the struggle is so real at the point where they stop to do the two breaths and the hands are off the chest that is when you slap the aed on and it will tell you there's pictures it is very dummy proof it almost looks a lot of them almost looks like a uh, it looks like a child's toy you know like those fisher price solid color Little Yeah, I've
2: seen those before.
3: And it shows you where to place the pads. You do one on the chest and one on the the side of the rib cage. It'll show you proper placement and then you power it on. And like Jonathan said, it will walk you through. And there's uh, points where it'll say, pause compressions for, you know, and then it'll do a pulse check. And it'll say shock advised or shock not advised. And... If it says shock advised, you know how on TV they say clear, that's actually true. Don't touch that shit. Everybody needs to be clear and you and please make sure that the person is not laying in water because if person is laying in water, everybody will get shocked. So, but that's you know, that's further into it. and hopefully um, by that time help will have arrived. But yes, AEDs, if an AED is available, absolutely slap that AED on that person and just follow the prompts. It's extremely dummy proof. Hopefully y'all never find yourselves in this situation. But if you do, um, I I feel like you need to go and meet up with recessy Annie, the most kissed girl in the world and learn how to learn how to do these things because nobody anticipates ever having to do it. But if you, if you find yourself in that situation, it's better to have some knowledge to know what to do than, than not
1: do the elderly provide a much crunchier chest compression than the children yes sir
3: 100%, 100%. snap
1: snap on top <laughs> nana's going to make
3: some noises, nana it, it, nana's it, it's it's y'all the first the first time you crack ribs it's ugh, it's not awesome it's not awesome but again this is the extremest of extreme situations you don't want to, but you are. Lit- it's literally life or death. You're gonna break some ribs. It's gonna happen.
0: I knew a guy that back in Delaware, volunteer firefighter. Um, they were out on a fishing pier, and somebody hit the ground. They sent somebody for help, but the other person there was a teenager, and like so, he was the only person that could physically do chest compressions and do CPR. He did. CPR for forty-five minutes Jesus. before help arrived, and said that it was more exhausting than the the actual test to become a firefighter. Oh yeah, he said it was the most exhausting thing
3: he's ever done. In his life. oh my god, It look, it's true.
2: Yeah, because I imagine in a real situation like that, you got adrenaline pumping too. Like feel like it would wear you out just from the stress of the event much less the actual activity.
3: It's incredibly physically demanded because you have to lock your arms and push. You don't do the elbow bending nonsense that you see on TV like three times and then blow in their mouth and say, don't die on me. And then- fair, that might be part of acting, you know, so you're not hurting. Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. If it's not clear, you shouldn't be using TV to advise you on how to save a life. You know, Grey's Anatomy is- Complete and utter nonsense. Sorry if anybody likes Grey's Anatomy, but it's just pretty much any medical show. Every medical person that's watching it is rolling their eyes because it's like, "What? No, that's not no." So please don't use TV to advise you on how to save a life, or podcasts, or podcasts. Look, like
2: I said, unless they're certified to teach, get trained by get trained by a professional. But hopefully, but hopefully we convince at least somebody to go get trained. I
0: know? was looking at it if you're here in Georgia, um it looks like there's a class offered online in Georgia where you could do it for 19.95. CPR and AED certificate.
3: See, okay, 20 bucks. Bad. 20 bucks and you could help save somebody's life. I remember hearing about a family member of one of the nurses that I worked with when I was traveling and it was her husband and he was at a gas station and he went into an arrhythmia and fell out at the gas station and people just gathered around him until an ambulance came. Nobody knew CPR. The,
0: bystander, the effect.
3: bystander effect. Nobody knew CPR. Nobody intervened. The man was 46. So youth, like being younger, definitely increases your odds of survival. It was a witnessed collapse. So there was time to perfuse his brain. Nobody jumped in. and I'm not saying it's their fault. I, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, pointing fingers at anybody like shame on them for not look, if you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what you're doing. But imagine if that was your loved one. And what if somebody in that crowd had known one person had known CPR that could have saved that man's life 20 bucks to be able to save a life. <sighs> look. on a
0: side note, a uh, uh, quick question, the, what is the medical stance on a precordial thump?
3: Oh, <laughs> okay. So that is largely out of practice now, but it's essentially okay. punching them in the chest. Um, <laughs> so we had a doc one time that... Wake up! No, we, we had a doc one time that, uh, that punched a patient in the chest and it didn't work. He was awake. I guess not. He was awake. Oh, so did he? He was in. He was in an arrhythmia, and she walked in and she said, "Uh, let's call her Doctor Tardis because I'm looking at a Tardis from Doctor Who." Oh, so she walked in and she said, "Sir, I'm Doctor Who, and I'm about to punch you in the chest." And he was like, "What?" <laughs> and she hit him in the chest and looked at the monitor and went, "Okay," and walked out.
0: <laughs> it says that it creates two to five joules of
3: energy. Yeah. It used to be it used to be more common practice than it is the precordial thump. Um, but that's that's yeah, they don't really do that anymore.
2: <laughs> what about the postcardial thump where you punch them in the back when, when you
3: they're choking? Punch them in the punch them in the butt. no you punch them in the back when
2: they're
1: choking. I don't think that's recommended, right, Brandy? Back slaps? Yeah, do they do back For
3: a baby, they do. For a choking baby. Yeah, but for a grown-ass man? No, that's, that's Heimlich. like, that's round the, round the body and pushing up and to the right with uh, abdominal thrusts. Ooh. Abdominal thrusts is what they're called. But that's another podcast. That's another episode. I hope I'm not overstepping by giving these, by giving these steps.
1: No, we're saving lives
3: out here. Well, but but like I said, I'm not certified to teach this. I don't want to give, you know, I I hope I gave everything correctly, but I just, I really do feel like people need to learn CPR. There's no reason not to.
0: Yeah. I mean, everybody knows this is solely for information and entertainment purposes. We fully condone you going and taking a real class. Absolutely. I mean, it could be done online or in person.
2: And hey, we're and it, approaching Christmas. So it'd be a good cheap Christmas gift. Get somebody a yeah. uh, CPR lesson.
0: Yeah. Normally, if you like, so if you work for any business of any size, it, I mean, uh, mom and pop shops probably would have a harder time getting this done. But any business of any size, you can call the American Red Cross and they offer discounted rates to come and teach your whole workforce. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Sometimes there's free CPR classes depending on where you are. So it's it's very available.
0: Oh, um, while well, I'm thinking about it. Uh, if you're walking through the Atlanta airport, you can practice it on what is almost a video game. Really? really? It's not really a video game. I make fun of it. It's, it's a dummy that sits there in the airport and it just teaches you CPR while you're waiting on your flight.
3: Okay, that's freaking
1: cool. All right, I'm going to need you to fly me out there and uh, let me try it. That seems like a good way to keep your kids occupied. Like, hey, kids, go do compressions and wet yourselves out. Yeah,
3: Annie, are you okay? <clears throat> Annie, are you okay? <clears throat> Precordial oh, thump.
2: Not how you do it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. Um, fun fact, I just re-upped on my BLS certification, basic life support, and I used an Annie dummy, one that has that feedback that shows you how hard you're compressing and how fast and, whether they're effective.
0: It's pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. So to to full circle this back around, we said that our Lady of the Serene. Sane. Sane,
3: like insane. The, like, like somebody who's insane, but it's the Sane like River. Insane in the burning.
0: <laughs> so our Lady of the Sane is what was modeled for our first CPR dummy. Just going back to her full circle, I was looking at a little bit of that. Since they said they don't know where exactly she came from, I was curious to see where she could have come from. So there's no real river that feeds into the Seine. The Seine has a source. It's not like multiple rivers flowing into the Seine.
3: You and your water, Jonathan. That was the one
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was the one picture I sent earlier. I love how obsessed you are
3: with water. It just makes me happy.
0: But yeah, so if she ended up in Paris, she was pretty close to the headwaters. Of it regardless, because it flows from Paris um, out in a northwestern kind of course until it gets to the English Channel. There it is. Okay. I was looking for a name of a body of water. There you the go. English Channel. So it flows out into the English Channel. Hmm. That's all I was getting at. Like, she didn't wash in from somewhere Right,
3: right. So she was probably a local. And it's crazy that nobody knew who she was.
0: That's kind of what I was getting at.
3: And, yeah, and it's a little, it's a little, how do we feel about the fact that her face was used, you know? I feel like today that would never happen. I feel like... Especially
2: without, uh, like, permission.
3: Right, right. I feel like that would be hugely frowned on. But it's kind of, it's kind of cool in a way, though, because... She has this legacy, you know, like what a cool thing to have been a part of, you know.
1: But but just the one person like, man, she has a really peaceful face. I'm going to take a mold of it. (laughs) (laughs) They were. You know what we're going to do? We're going to sell this.
3: They were. But they were obsessed with that kind of thing. It was like. Yeah. Trendy. And like even the women's makeup and look at the time they modeled after her. Like she was a literal cultural icon in Paris. This unknown woman, like the mystery and the the spookiness of it, like they they wanted to be her and have her face everywhere. And oh, it's just crazy to me. Freaking influencers. Ugh. Hashtag 19th century influencers.
1: Follow us on all social medias and make sure to like, share and comment on our posts. Let us know how we're doing. and suggest new episode ideas. We love to hear it. Wow. If you want to share a personal story with us or be a guest on a future episode, email us at strangewoodspodcast at gmail.com. Does anyone use AOL anymore? Probably not. Hey, we also have a Facebook fan page where we chat and share strange minutes. This is
3: great. We,
1: <laughs> hey we also have a facebook fan page where we chat and share strange memes don't forget to check out our website at strangewoodspodcast.com available at internets everywhere where we share pictures and details about each episode and as always thanks for listening and don't forget we have merch at bootiesapparel.com wow yeah. <laughs> later strangers Let's strange later, strangers. later. later. Nothing sweeter than the listeners of Jonathan, Jeremy, and Peter.